What's up, party people? Thanks for downloading our podcast. You can check out more of our episodes at thisamericanhorrorstory.com or on iTunes. everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast for the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with Chris Husted, co-host. What's up, everyone? Good evening, everybody. It is late on Wednesday night. We just watched the most recent episode. I am, once again, back with Bourbon Insider. I'm keeping it going. Keeping it flowing. Um... What have you got this evening, Chris? I, I've, I'm coming off a virus or something, so I have a very fancy emergency over here. Tangerine-flavored. Delicious. That sounds good. Well, I guess the, um, the theatrics... The holiday took it out of me, too. <laughs> still recovering, I understand. but I, Well, apparently I don't understand because I'm still drinking bourbon and cider, but we'll see how that <laughs> reflects our show here. Um, oh, boy. Before we dig into the meat of this week's episode a few quick notes just from our uh more recent episode last week um we had asked everybody we didn't understand what exactly it was that Threadson said when he right before he dives into lana's nipple there um got a bunch of responses on that every the consensus seems to be that Threadson said baby needs colostrum which is a nutrient-dense part of breast milk um it's said to have a calming effect and to strengthen the bond bond between mother and child a mother and newborn child, which would make sense, I guess, for Threadson's whole mommy fetish. Uh, which got really weird in this episode, let's just go yeah. ahead and say in the beginning, before we really dive in there. Um, Some, like, Oedip- Oedipus <laughs> complex there. No kidding. Um, or Oedipal complex. We also had some other kind of interesting theories I just wanted to get you to weigh in on before we kind of dig in. Um, we had one individual who was saying, kind of within the rules of American Horror Story, could the the present day bloody face be a ghost instead of, you know, the descendant of, um, you know, it, of, you know, Threadson or whoever? Do you I, think that it could be a ghost? I don't think so. Just because I feel like we handled ghosts last season and this season we're dealing with more tangible forces with the exception of the religious uh, uh, stuff happening. Well, and the aliens too, but I agree with you. For some reason I get the feeling that this is an actual human person for some reason still alive i don't know what what it is i guess maybe because i don't feel like we've gotten a real direct hint that it's a ghost for any reason um i feel like maybe if it was a ghost the writers would have given us a bigger hint earlier on we actually had a we actually had another comment too from a a reader or a listener i guess who um was asking if we thought that briarcliff was super supernatural like the murder house you know you obviously you have aliens you have bloody face you have demons and exorcism um, what do you think? Do you think Bloody Face, or sorry, that Briarcliff has the same kind of supernatural elements that the murder house has? No, I don't. I think it houses a lot of crazy, um, <laughs> literally some crazy people, but a lot, a lot of crazy entities. But I don't think that the place itself is a haunted place. Um, but real quick, the Bloody Face thing, going back to that, I do have a feeling that, like, I have a theory that maybe the demon that is possessing uh, Eunice right now who's kind of very, uh, when we find out later in the show when Lana, you know, tells her what Threadson is, is very intrigued by that. And I'm thinking maybe that that the demon could possibly uh, live after this 
and oh. uh, and take over some human's body in the future and uh, continue Bloodyface's reign of terror. Oh, so maybe the demon jumps from body to body and becomes yeah. kind of, and that's what carries on Bloodyface. I think that's a good, that's an interesting theory. Yeah. Um, kind of along the lines though of whether or not Briarcliff is supernatural, I would agree with you. I don't think it's supernatural either because I, I kind of feel like that. In my opinion, I feel like the theme of this season is you know last season was all about. Um, kind of like external elements affecting your life as far, you know, as far as like the murder house kind of having a personality of its own and kind of, um, you know, locking people within, within its, its realm of, you know, what reality was. I feel like this season is a lot more about, um, tangible, like the horror is kind of coming from within people, you know, it's a lot more about the mind and everything. Right, it's the terror and, and the and the the torment in in each individual's life that they have to deal with. And obviously, there's supernatural elements like the aliens and shit like that, you know. But it, a lot of that is like, you, you know, you don't know if it's real or if it's just something that's tormenting Kit inside his head or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it, it just feels a lot more internal and not quite as as supernatural as the past season. But I understand people thinking, you know, that's a possibility because obviously that's was continued in season one, and there's you know. You, it, you could guess that for season two, but I I just don't get that feeling, and it seems like you don't either. Um, but kind of with that, I guess let's go ahead and, and dive into episode seven. Um, before we begin, overall impressions. What did you think of this episode? I, I thought this episode definitely had a solid theme running through the entire thing, especially for our main characters and and a couple uh, uh two other. Uh, peripheral actually new characters really or even three new characters that we meet um but it's that the anguish of escape you know the whole trying to escape either you know escaping your physical place like landa's trying to escape threadson's lair and kit's trying to escape uh to get back into briarcliff or escaping your you know the the demons in your own life like grace was dealing with and miles the the new guy we meet and then say goodbye to and then like uh jude you know and lana again uh, trying to also escape her own life so i think it was definitely an escape um was the uh either through death or uh through like actually like uh evacuating a a physical place i agree i agree i do feel like in a little a little um a little bit like this episode was a step backward from the past couple of episodes because i feel like the plot in those was just so tight and it was complicated but it was like you kind of felt like uh, things were coming together a little bit and i feel like all that stuff that was coming together in this episode just kind of burst apart at the same yeah but and i figured that might have happened just because we're halfway through and we're only halfway through and we still have half a season to go like how much more crazy can we get well it's american horror story so of course it's going to get batshit crazy but as it is doing in this episode but this episode i i I thought was good and bad like it served the purpose of i thought trying to show a lot of our main characters at rock bottom, like where they're waiting for death, like they are just ready to die. And indeed, we do lose some of them, but some of them muster that strength to to go forward. But are we now going to get six episodes of them trying like, to prove themselves and climb out of this hole? I mean, they're going to have to get knocked down a few more times for this to make a, a, a natural story arc. That's true. I guess to get to 13 episodes, I mean, this is kind of us breaching the halfway point with episode 7 here. And so maybe in order to, you know, get to that point, we had to have a part, you know, it was coming together too, you know, too tidy. They'd already given up who Bloody Face was and kind of given us, oh, Arden is a Nazi after all and stuff like that. So we kind of needed things to, 
uh, disassemble themselves a little bit just so we can put them back together in these last you know six episodes right. coming up. Right. There's a few convenient plot points that happen throughout this episode. That's like, okay, I know I know this this episode's a lot about moving people back into place for the next uh, episode or the, the next uh, story arc, uh, which will obviously probably take place back at Briarcliff since everyone's gravitating back there now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that everyone gets there is a little, you know, convenient. <laughs> no kidding, yeah. And easy. <laughs> okay, so let's let's I guess go ahead and kind of dive into the the play by play and see what we can we can pull from that. Yeah. So scene one, we kind of open up on Grace bleeding out uh, on a bed, and this is when we kind of first meet this angel of death character that we had not Francis met Conroy. Right, exactly. Woo! We have our creepy maid from season one. Is back in season two, and I, I mean, we've kind of seen this with you know um, American Horror Story season two. Is they're bringing back almost? I mean, I'm surprised at how many people they have brought back from season one in right. different roles. I mean, we kind of we already knew there was going to be Jessica Lange, we already knew there was going to be Evan Peters and um, Sarah Paulson, and obviously Lily Rabe too. But I mean, we know exactly. Dylan McDermott's coming back. We know that. Uh, I mean, it's it's the cast has been recycled. I mean, obviously Zachary Quinto as well, but the cast has just been recycled so much, and it's, it's interesting to see all these people in such different roles. I love it. It's great. Yeah, I love that. Um, but we kind of see of the Christopher Guest movies, kind of, except not funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Where you just kind of see the same actors, and you want to see them again because they're also good in their in whatever role that they they tackle. That's right, and it's. I mean, in this particular role. Is totally different from the maid she played last season, who was kind of a, you know, submissive at the, um, you know, was kind of um, subject to whatever Constance wanted of her, basically. Um, when she and, was in her old, in her old state. <laughs> exactly. So here we see what seems to be some sort of like angel of death, and she's about to kiss Grace, but Grace isn't. Grace, uh, they they bring her back at the last minute, right before she's ready to go. Um, did, so, do you think like she's an angel, or what did you? Yeah, I think I'm your... pretty sure she's the angel of death because it sounds, you know, she when she kisses people, they die. <laughs> right. And when when people want to die, they call for her. So I, I'm fairly certain that's what she's representing there. But did you think that she was a positive force? Is she our representation of God that we've been looking for so far this season? Yes, I think she mentions God once or twice, and I was like, oh, when when she has a conversation with Jude at the diner, I think she talks about God, and it's like, oh, this is the first mention, or first mention from someone believable, I guess, that isn't just a human, um, that this God exists, but also, um, oh gosh, what was it? She did something, uh, okay, I forget, I forget what I was going to say. Okay, well, I mean, obviously we'll we'll continue to talk about it, but it's kind of um, it's interesting that the first presence we see of of God is this character that is bringing death toward people. It just right. further complicates this kind of um, image we have of what religion is supposed to stand for in this in the season, you know? Right. I mean, and I remember what I was going to say now, but it'll come up again when we move through the plot. So let's carry on. Okay, so we kind of see this uh, introductory scene between Arden and Eunice. Um, and we, this is kind of where we learned that Arden did not actually perform the sterilization. So we, this is where we kind of officially know that it was not in Grace's head that she was on the alien spaceship, you know. Because we had, you know, there was maybe, we were thinking that maybe, you know, she was just so sedated that she thought she was abducted by aliens when really she was sterilized. But no, it sounds like she's had a hysterectomy and that her uterus has been removed and she is just bleeding out all over the place. And they don't really seem all that concerned about how that happened. 
<laughs> you notice that? Like, even well, they all assume it was Arden, but Arden's like, I didn't do it, and then. Well, he wants to he, he wants to cover his ass, but he doesn't seem to care too much who it was that actually did do it. Right, he actually tries and does a successful job of saving her life, basically. I, I thought this was a really gross line. I wrote down what Eunice said as she said her girl parts were scooped out. Scooped out. Oh, I know. Uh, I was like, oh. That was, that was cringeworthy right there. Um, but we have a little bit of a confrontation between Arden and Eunice, and I think this is only going to continue... Right. This is the same the same the same thing we've been seeing last episode though. She just uses her powers now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She he slaps her and so she like we see her powers finally. And so we assume that she had these all along, and this is the first time we're really seeing them, which we did see these powers before, everybody remember when we saw the demon manifest itself within Jed. And remember that when the exorcist was like looming over him, he threw the guy against the wall and I think killed him, right? So, do you remember that? I, I don't. I mean, I we, remember he was flinging people around, but I don't remember him killing. We never saw the guy again, so it was like we knew he was in the infirmary. So, we've seen these powers before. She's kind of had these powers up until then. I guess she hasn't needed them until then. But we know she's more powerful than we kind of, re- you know, Yeah, now he knows, yeah. and she's, she's, I think she makes a joke like, oh, you think you're in charge? Or you're, you're in control? Well, we know that, um... Uh, Eunice is running the show there now. She says that later on, too. Oh, oh, yeah. She makes it quite clear that she's in control. But she seems to have a little bit of a fear of this angel of death uh, thing that seems to be hovering around. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Miles, which was a very strange interlude here. And I Yeah, was, I don't know about him. I, I don't think we should, he, He's a convenient character that got introduced to Colin, the angel of death, when... I don't know. I think we could have used someone like Mark Consuelos' character as someone to further tell that story, you know? Exactly. So just to kind of break this down real quick, we see him for the first time. He's in, like, the... They're cutting meat, I guess. They're, like, cutting the deli kitchen meat, again. putting yeah. together sandwiches. Yeah. And he's getting these voices in his head that are essentially telling him he needs to be some sort of hero. And to be a hero, he has to go cut his wrists on the giant meat slicer. Right, the deli meat slicer, yeah. So he does, and he spells a name on the wall that is apparently the name of the Angel of Death. That's what I kind of assumed. Did you yeah, kind of get that? Lily Rabe says it's Aramaic, and he, the, when she asks Miles, he doesn't even know what the name is. Like He's like, I don't know. I don't know how to, what it says. Well, and, he, and she says something like, did you summon her to Miles? And he says, he says no. And yeah. we've already seen her, obviously, with Grace. And so, I mean, when Miles is saying all this shit about how he's going to be a hero and everything. What What is he trying to accomplish in this scene? Because obviously, okay, just to kind of finish it up here, we see him, you know, Eunice is in the shadows and we see my, the angel of death come and, and kiss Miles and, and kill him essentially. So what is Miles yeah, Which is also very graphic when he pulls the bandage open. Ah! Yeah, that was really... There was a lot of blood in this one. There's a lot of splitting of wrists in this episode. That was nasty. This was... Yeah, this was very gory and a lot of self-mutilation going on here. But what was your take on why... Why was this... Why was Miles necessary? Uh, Well, he was... Well, yeah, I agree. I don't think he was necessary. I don't think they needed him. Um, Yeah, in his head, it's like, you're an alcoholic. You're nothing. You know, you need to do something. And I don't know why that meant he had to kill himself. But his whole purpose was the vessel to bring in the angel of death. Which my first question was, why is this the first time someone has called for the angel of death in this asylum? Right. <laughs> what do well, you, you think? A few people probably called on her before. Wait, but... you think that she- our good friend Shelley could have called on her before when she was like getting annihilated? Totally. But I guess she was drug out of the asylum by then. 
True. Um, true. So, well, okay, here's maybe an idea is maybe it's because since Grace didn't die, you needed someone actually to die before the angel of death could enter the asylum. But like you said, you think a lot of other people have obviously died in the asylum. Before right. Then. And I think we easily could have like, instead of trying to make Mark Consuelos, who was the masturbator in the last episode, get caught doing that. He, you know, he could have easily been the guy that did this. Exactly. So it didn't quite make, I mean, it just, yeah, it just seemed like a means to an end, but not necessarily of that, you know, with that well thought out. But we, we essentially from this get a confrontation between Eunice and the angel of death, where we kind of see for the first time the demon have fear in something else other than herself. Until now, we kind of get the feeling that like she's an unstoppable force. But here we kind of get the feeling that maybe the angel of death is her um, cousin, her dark cousin. The name of the episode. <laughs> exactly. And so the angel of death is saying to Eunice, you know, one, one of us resides in you, a fallen cousin or whatever. And so we kind of, this is when we officially basically reveal that the demon that was in Jed entered um, Eunice and is essentially keeping the real Eunice captive. So, which is interesting because when you saw the episode from last week and you kind of had that scene in which Eunice is on the diving board and remember it's like looking into her past and stuff mm-hmm. that seemed like that was supposed to be kind of the authentic Eunice there too so i'm not quite sure what the relationship is like with this demon within her whether they're kind of meshed together or whether it's like Eunice is being held hostage within her own head by this demon i think that's what it is cuz there, there's that split second for actually a couple seconds where the real mary Eunice comes out and she's like pleading like please help me help me help me and then she goes right back into, which was awesome, awesomely acted, I thought, uh, by Lily Rabe. But uh, yeah, and she gets the, the demon gets control again. So I think Eunice is still in it. The demon just took over her body for the time being. Exactly. And we see like that little bit of like schizophrenia moment where she's like battling herself and everything. Which yeah. Really, like I agree, that was very well well done. But um, I think also this 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 sequence with the two interacting plants the first seed of what this um this whole series might uh, um, eventually grow to, which is the battle between good and evil or dark and light or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it'll comp- eventually culminate in, you know, these two sides, M- meaning that this is bigger than just like an alien and a rasper and, uh, uh, you know, a crazy person and a, and a, or like a serial killer and regular people. It's going to be like good and evil again, which is kind of what, was being battled eventually in the end of uh, the uh, first series. Exactly. And it's kind of interesting that we're kind of uh, uh, distilling it to this good and evil thing again, because, I mean, it seems like we have coming up battles that are like, you know, Arden versus Eunice, which is like two different forms of evil. And, I mean, it's kind of, it's definitely been playing with our mind this season about what is good and what is evil. And, you know, we hate it. Like, at the beginning, we think Sister Jude is really sadistic and wants to beat people with canes. And now she's very sympathetic. And people are jumping kind of all over the spectrum. Um, right. I feel like some people, like, for instance, Threadson, are going to be pretty hard to redeem at this point, obviously, yeah. after the shit he's done. Yeah. But I feel like, for instance, with Arden, I could see them still trying to paint him as a sympathetic character as time goes on. I, I don't know. As that battle with him and Eunice continues, maybe... I, I, I'm not sure. That, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they, they might try to, but there's no way. I mean, maybe he'll he'll go, like, as a coward in the end. You know? Like, we'll be like, oh, look at this poor guy. He's just getting whooped on by Eunice. But then we'll remember that he was, like, you know, raping innocent nuns or whatever. And, 
and trying to and taking photos of them tied up and yeah, and uh, turning people into zombies. Right, I think he's a little bit too sick to be redeemable at this point in time. Um, you, uh, Jude though is absolutely as we've we're growing to like her more and more. Exactly, I feel bad for her at least more and more. Oh yeah, I think Jude has definitely become uh, our a heroine of sorts for us in this story. Um, but so speaking of Arden, so he we see him, you know, looking at Grace and essentially admitting that he is not responsible for this hysterectomy. But um, the only reason he's trying to save her really is because he doesn't want it to be pinned on on him. It's all you know, selfish reasons. He doesn't even really care why her uterus is missing. Yeah. Arden was boring this episode. <laughs> Yeah, the Arden plotline was not very sophisticated at all, really going into here. Um, Far more interesting was the other stuff we had going on, which included this horrifying scene of threats and raping Lana. Yeah, yikes. Um, Which, let's let's just say for a minute that his mommy issues became something different very quickly here. Yeah. I I didn't think they were going to go there. I thought that, like, literally, I, like... Obviously, it's a little bit sexual when he dives into her nipple last episode, but I thought that was just him, like, converting to a baby stage, right? So why would he then want to have sex with his mother figure? I don't know. That was was weird. But if anything, it helps serve the theory that their prodigy would become the future bloody face. I agree. And that's what I was thinking the whole time, too, is this is only, you know, further servicing our theory that you know they're going to create some baby that is going to become bloody face jr essentially or, or something along those lines but what a just what a gross horrifying scene that was too just the way the camera was filmed and the close-ups of sarah paulson's face as she's getting i mean very disturbing and obviously we see here again the angel of death is everywhere in this episode visiting lana again um and essentially, Lana tells her to go away, that she has... I mean, let's just talk what? for a minute about how yeah. like strong Lana has to be to continue to battle through all the stuff she's facing. Right. Well, she considers it for a minute. Like, she's there thinking, like, you know, wanting to, wanting to end it. And then right when... right, I mean, this is after Threads and Left, but after... As soon as the angel of death is coming in to give her that kiss, she's like, wait, not yet. Yeah, exactly. So she's got something st- still left in her. Which you got to appreciate after all that. Yeah. Um, but, oh yeah, okay, continue. I think we're coming into this now. <laughs> right, so the angel approaches her. She's not afraid anymore. But Elena pushes the angel away. And Threatson essentially comes back down and is going to give go. her an He's going to give her an option about how he, how she can die. He says he which, can... which how did we get here? How how like he, I don't understand. He says we have an impasse now. She's like we have an impasse. Like <laughs> I don't understand why. Like all of a sudden he has to kill her. Like what what is the issue? I guess I mean it's just only further underlining the fact that he is completely insane and that he's very irrational because for, he goes from one minute for him for you know at one minute she's her his mother. The next minute he's raping her. The next minute he's going to kill her because they're at an impasse. We don't really understand what this impasse is. But he goes on this whole spiel about how he's tenacious and how he doesn't give up. Yeah. I, don't, what I did she... didn't understand that. That was very very vague. I didn't know if that was in reference to... He said he kind of mentioned something about, like, as a doctor he was tenacious and didn't give up his diagnoses and stuff like that. I didn't know if, like, that was foreshadowing that he was going to go back to Briarcliff right there. Or, or what exactly... 
But he basically gives Lana an ultimatum about how he's going to slaughter her. Um, and just as he leans and over, he her, gave her two options. He gave her he would either um, slice her throat or strangle her because he he is not a fan of guns. And that's right. That's right. He's he, it's like he was giving her the honorable. Yeah. He was going to give her an honorable death. <laughs> but... like, I do not like guns or something. That's what he said. That was yeah, that, pretty funny. That, that, that was like. Yeah, as if those two are much much better options. So he gets this little hypodermic needle, and it's coming over too. He decides he's going to inject her. It looks like, and um, she hits him with the picture of Wendy, which is pretty ironic. When you think I love that it. that um, that symbolism there, uh huh. And she's able to like at least stun him enough to unlock herself and run away. Which very lucky that he happened to have the keys on him at that point in time. Um, but then we see this re- other really creepy scene. Of course, you know, she climbed, you know, you knew as soon as she climbed in the car that it wasn't going to be a clean getaway. I yeah, mean, from one monster to another monster to a worse monster. Yeah. What's so this guy has apparently been, you know, caught his wife cheating and I, she I wrote left him. Mr. Misogyny to the rescue. Oh yeah. He automatically assumes that she's, you know, she's at to fault blame. or something or another. And then he pulls out a gun and shoots himself as the car continues right. to go. If you're on a suicide mission, why are you driving and then why are you going to shoot yourself while you're driving? <laughs> that just seems really difficult. I think we can just go ahead and say right now that Lana pretty much has the worst luck in the entire world. Right. Um, but right before he does pulls the trigger, because we, we don't... I mean, we I kind of figured he would shoot himself and not Lana, but um, Angel of Death, boom, in the back seat. Angel of Death is always riding along. Um Shoots himself and brings Lana back to Briarcliff, which we kind of, we knew, I, I don't know, I had a feeling she wasn't going to die in Threatsen's basement there. There was going right. to be some way. So this is going to be drawn out more. This is a little convenient, I thought, for this guy to show up and they do the car crash. Like, what are the odds of that? That just seemed a little, you know, neat for the for the writers. The, it happen. was it was it was very neat. A lot of things in this episode were were neat, a little too yeah. tidy for for my tastes. Um but uh, I mean, let's. So on the side here, we have Kit, who's being back questioned at the at the jail, you know, and he he wants Grace to testify that he that Alma's still alive because she's seen Alma in you know her, in the alien spaceship or whatever, in the you know a couple episodes ago. But the the police officer informs him that you know Grace is sick and she's had some procedure done to her. She's bleeding out. She's not going to probably make it. Um, this scene I thought was filmed pretty interestingly. I mean, it's like, you definitely feel like you're inside the head of a crazy person because as the guy's talking, you have like the weird blurry camera lens zooming in and out and you have like that weird plunky piano music in the background. Lots of jump cuts I noticed. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, it was very frenetic and it kind of got you into the mind of Kit a little bit. But he grabs that hole puncher, whacks the guy in the head and jumps out the window. Yeah. So you you feel like if they suspected him to be this crazy serial killer, maybe they would have had better security. Right. But I guess this was the 60s, so who knows? I know. And I, I, I have a question for you. How Do you care about Kit anymore? Because I really don't care about him. I feel like they've gone off... I mean... His storyline needs to be advanced in some way because I feel like I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing him just whining about him not being bloody face and still being accused. I feel like this that storyline is ready to be taken to the next level instead of it him. It needs just... to be. He's running in circles and being boring, and I don't know. There's no development there, and I, I could care less about him. 
I liked it better when we kind of saw him a little bit fraying at the edges when he kind of like freaked out on Grace a little bit. And we saw a little bit of the crazy Evan Peters we saw back with Tate last season. But so far, it's been... Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I don't care about him. I don't care about his relationship with Grace at all. And I don't care about Grace at all, really, even though she had her hysterectomy, which does suck. And I feel bad for her. But, you know, she's I don't know. I just I don't have I could care less what happens to them at this point. I agree. Right now, I think the most fascinating plot line has got to be Lana and Thredson, really. Lana Thredson uh, and Jude, I think. Jude's. And, and Jude's a close second, too. But yeah, Kit, Kit and Grace is kind of like been pushed to the sides a little bit so we'll kind of have to see where that goes but i think that they need to progress with that in some way um before that story can go anywhere and maybe that's what happened at the end of this episode um but let's talk about jude a little bit so we kind of obviously we left her at the end of the last episode it was kind of the big cliffhanger where um her her nazi hunter friend is tico's uncle <laughs> that's how i always keep calling him <laughs> yeah has been murdered by um Eunice and is right. lying in a puddle of blood on the bathroom floor. So she looks around the room, wanting to call the cops, and as she's calling the cops, she sees that everything is set up basically to frame her. Exactly. We see the word murder on the TV, we see the article of the child hit by the car. The whiskey um, bottle of the glass. And we kind of jump back and we see a little bit more of Jude's past, which we kinda of are getting in patches here a little bit. Um so nineteen forty nine you know, Jude missed a gig. We figure out, we hear something about how um, she was like, her husband left her at the altar because she had told him she had contracted syphilis somehow and he thought she was, a, you know, cheating around on him or something like that. And she's kicked out of the band. And so she tries to seduce her bandmate and basically ends Jesus up being sad. It is very sad, and you, I mean, he ends up saying that some policeman wants to question her about the hit and run, so she packs up all her shit, and she's ready to kind of... Uh, tail it out there, out of there. Exactly. And she, it looks like she sees a white light, and, you know, because she's drinking in the car, and she crashes into a tree in the front yard of um, a church or something like that where all the nuns are. And so that's kind of how, you know, fate brought her to God. So right. we kind of... Right. Now we've kind of it's like now we've finally kind of seen Jude's full full past about how she got from, you know, A to B right. here, which I thought it was interesting with this whole escape thing that while trying to escape the police, you know, basically who are going to be after her for this um case if they ever for killing that girl, she, she's trying to escape that, she finds her next escape, which is you know, the convent. Religion, apparently. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so we kind of cut back to present day, and she gets a phone call from Eunice, who says, you know, what have you done? And this is kind of when Eunice reveals to Jude that she is the demon. And we kind of flash back to, you know, when Jed and, was jumping in the head of everybody. Right. And then you can see it clicking with Jude, and she's like, oh, snap. And so, uh, you know, Eunice does the honorable thing and leaves Jude a bottle of whiskey and a razor blade to cut her wrists. <laughs> <laughs> So Chu goes to the diner, and we kind of see this um, fantasy in her head of like what it would be like if she cut her wrists. And I thought she was doing it. I was like, "Oh my god, are they really killing her off right now?" I thought she was doing it too. And that pile, that like puddle of blood, was pretty, pretty Gross. enormous, pretty gruesome. They, they she, were really heavy-handed with the suicide attempts and imagery in this in this episode. No kidding, that was everywhere in this. Which episode. why does everyone want to slit their wrists? Ugh. But we kind of see here that Jude is old friends with Death. You right. Know, Jude she is says, are you sick of me yet? 
Yes, exactly. So we know that Jude has uh, come close to doing this many, many times, um, but has always pulled back. Um, and, you know, she says that all she ever wanted was a family and that, you know, why couldn't that happen? And the, the, the angel of death says that it was like God revealing a plan to her. And right, obviously that's the first time we hear about God too. Right. And this is kind of when we assume that the angel of death is speaking, you know, God is speaking through the angel of death. That's kind of how I perceived it. What did you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just, you know, one of God's angels. If you think, you know, religiously they work for God and, you know, she obviously has a major job to do, uh, for God. And that's what she was doing that basically preaching whatever, whatever God would say. But then, yeah, and so, you know, she says that God revealed this plan, but then Jude says she didn't rise to the challenge, and there's one last thing she has to do or whatever. Um, but there was, I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of thought it was, I wasn't sure if when the angel said that, if she was referring to just Jude giving service to God, and, you know, um, you know, being a nun in general, or I'm wondering if that had a more direct meaning, maybe in revealing Arden's true identity, or if there is some underlying meaning that the, the angel yeah, is essentially well saying you be. have a specific very function. well could be, yeah. Um, that that this whole sequence between um, um, Jessica Lang and Francis Conroy was really well done too, active acting wise. I thought um, I love the I love the that the the, the, um, the atmosphere is you know that that rundown diner. Uh, in the 50s somewhere off the, off the road uh, and then the angel when she, I wrote down this because I, I was like man this girl's talking like a country song she's she ta- she's talking to Jude and she she says how long can you live on free coffee and crackers <laughs> yeah. winters are cold here and the whiskey will only rot your insides I was like those are country lyrics <laughs> I don't even think about that but that's right that's very stereotypical um, but it was shot super well. And the acting it, was really well done. It was it was it was corny, but it was very well done. Yeah. Um, now tell me what you thought about this scene, and when Jude goes to confess to the girl's oh, parents yeah. that she hit the kid, yeah. and the kid she hit walks right in the door. She's still alive. That is one of my main, like my number one question I wrote down, which was, "What's up with the girl Jude killed turning up alive? Is this a trick someone's playing on her, or is she cray cray?" <laughs> exactly, because we have seen already all these like news stories and stuff about. Well, okay, so have the news stories ever said anything about the girl dying, or have they only ever said anything? Yeah, about the they said run? like murdered or like hit or killed. Yeah, I'm fairly positive that it said this girl died. So someone's got a, like a printing press or something, or this family's playing a trick, or I don't know, something's up. But if this girl is alive, how does that change Jude? You know, because this is kind of what she's built her future. This has on, been this haunting her for her whole life. Yeah, exactly. So is that like, is it going to be like a redeeming thing, or is she now going to wonder like, why the hell did I go and join the whole church in the first place? Right. It reminds me of. Did you ever read the book? Um, and then there were none. Oh. Uh. Agatha Christie, brilliant book. I'm not going to spoil the ending, but one by one, these people, go, or ten people go to an island. One by one, they die, uh, and the last person that dies, you learn in the end, was the one that was most torn up about their. They've all committed crimes in their life, and they're ba- basically being punished for them. And the one that dies at the end was most torn up about their the crime that haunted them. And Jude reminds me of this that her whole life is just reliving this memory of killing this girl. So can you imagine if it turns out not to be true, how much that will just throw you for a loop? 
Well, it kind of because like the Jude we know have known since the beginning of the show is pretty much built upon this single event in which she killed this girl. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that leave Jude to be if it was all you know? It this girl lived through all that. I mean, I think she might either she could go two ways. She could just totally like fall apart and <laughs> even worse. And even go lower if that's possible. Or she might come out with that carte blanche attitude where she's like, well, I got nothing left to lose now. I'm just going to go for it. That's what I'm wondering. I'm hoping that it somehow empowers her that she's going to come back to the asylum and be like, I did not do anything wrong in the first place. Maybe I was on God's side all along. Now I'm going to I hope she doesn't come back that polite though, Tyler. I hope she comes and goes, boom, boom, boom. Yo, where that Eunice bitch at? Oh, no, I, I want to see a little bit of badass Jude come back. Yeah. Her and Eunice have to have a throwdown because someone has to have a throwdown with Eunice if this, ever, you know, if this season is going to go anywhere. Um, anyway, very well done. Very bizarre turn of events here. That was just a weird surprise. Not really sure what to do with it. Um, in the meantime, Lana has made it back to Briarcliff and um, basically tells Eunice all about Threadson. And Threatson, or, you know, Eunice says she believes Lana and gives her these pills, but then she kind of wanders back into the hall and tells Frank, the security guard, that Lana's crazy. So I'm wondering if, like, Eunice is pocketing this information, is then going to... Because, like, Eunice had to have already known that Threadson was bloody face because we see the, the flashback where... Right. But there's still something that, that she's kind of intrigued about, like... You know, she like she doesn't know everything about it. Maybe she knew it was him, but she doesn't know his techniques or where his lair was or any of that business. So is she going to team up with him because she admired his work before, she said, you know? Or well, is it going I mean, to be some sort of rivalry? I think she might team up. I, I think we like in the next episode preview, we see that he comes back. So, Right. Um, so kind of the, the ending here of this episode, we see... Kit has run back into the asylum after escaping because he's here to save Grace. Right. It is uh, so easy, by the way, to break into Briarcliff, but so difficult to break out. I don't understand. <laughs> it's like Hotel California. It's easy like, to check in, but you can't get out of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A GD Rasper also follows him in, and he does not notice. Yeah, and he, you know, this is, you know, give Arden credit for cutting off Shelly's legs because this is why those raspers shouldn't have any legs because this guy, this guy is fucking fast. He is, he's yeah. like a 28 days later exactly scale right. zombie. 28, day, 28 days later zombie for sure. So, you know, we have this scene where Grace is in the kitchen by herself and all of a sudden Kit shows up and we have like a very short heartfelt reunion before the rasper jumps in and bites the hell out of that nun's neck nice nun that was letting grace stay (laughs) and i care more about that nun than grace kit kills the rasper just in time for frank to show up and let's just talk about how ridiculous this scene was for a minute because frank is just pointing a gun at kit kit is not moving he's totally frozen for some reason grace is like just in case i'm going to jump in front of kit in case frank decides to shoot i'm going to (laughs) hobble stumble slowly walk over and slow motion dive and still get shot and it's almost as if in frank's head he's like shit grace is moving i should probably shoot yeah Frank and so is, Frank is quickly becoming my favorite character on this show, by the way. <laughs> I love Frank. All he's there to do is make smart-ass comments and do yeah. stupid shit like this. He's like a nice, dumb guy. I don't know. 
But I agree. Like uh, there was no need to shoot him, and and the di- like diving in front of the bullet took forever. I read somewhere um, when I was waiting uh, after the episode, someone had written um, that uh, Lan- or uh, Grace stopped to make a sandwich while she was diving in front <laughs> of the bullet. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> a very slow motion dive. We see the bullet pass through Grace, and then we see Angel of Death finally shows up and kisses her. So, what's your take? Is Grace gone? Is she I think now? she's gone. And I hope she's gone. I'm done with Grace. I kind of uh, feel bad for her because I feel like that character had more potential, like, had more potential to go further than it did. But they just, that storyline between Grace and Kit was just It never felt stalled. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, they're sleeping with each other, I, but I feel like there was no real feelings there. I'm, I'm still thinking that Kit's probably hung up on Alma, you know, because... Well, Al- well, what the? Well, okay, let's talk a minute for what the hell is the aliens' uh, agenda here? Because Alma, they impregnate, and you know, and Grace, they pull her uterus out. Why uh, are they? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I hope that's somewhat explained, though. But yeah. so, are we just figuring that these aliens are like? I don't understand the the female anatomy. I'm just going to play with it and see what happens. I mean, maybe that's in the next six episodes. We'll get more, you know. Uh, and I think that's on I, aliens. I feel like that's what it, it's going to take to forward Skit's, or sorry, Kit's story a little bit is to figure out exactly what's going on with these aliens because so far they've just showed up at random times and no, nothing they've done has really made sense. I feel like. right. What if the Raspers, like or like these twenty eight days are twenty eight days later zombies slash orcs from <laughs> from Lord <laughs> of the Rings uh, end up um, I like breaking in to the. To the asylum, that'd be pretty cool. I'm gonna guess right now that Ar- the way Arden dies is by being eaten by raspers. I just oh, feel like that's going to be poetic justice right there. Death at the hand of your creation, yeah, yeah. That would be that'd be a truly appropriate horror story. Appropriate death here. Um, I don't know. It will be interesting to see what happens next. So before we talk about next episode, overall, I mean, what what do you think? What do you give this episode compared to our last couple? Um. I gave it I I gave it three point five. Um, I I liked it. I liked I liked that we really got to like we get to see Jude hit rock bottom. We get to see Lana supposedly hit rock bottom, um, and see how they're going to handle this situation now. And they've both obviously chosen to climb up out of this hole, where some of our other characters like Grace, you know, maybe she didn't have to die, but she chose to when the angel of death came to her so she chose yes miles who we barely knew chose to die and the guy driving the car chose to die but these two other characters chose to live so it's uh, like you said uh, seeing them hopefully hit rock bottom and now become empowered could be a very positive thing i agree um i'm gonna go ahead and give it three rubber men and that's just being i mean i i just feel like the past few episodes were were so well done and also just so well directed. I feel like there were a couple moments where I was like, okay, the you know the music and the in the camera angles and stuff are complimenting the show here, but it's just been so impressive the past couple episodes that I feel like it was you know a step backward a little bit in that right. department. But as far as plot goes too, I feel like this episode was all setting shit up again and yeah. moving people I, into place for the next like you know narrative. Exactly. And so, you know, once we see where everything goes, maybe I'll respect it a little bit more. Once we see, you know, maybe there was some intricate stuff set up here that we don't really realize. But until then, I feel like I'm going to have to go with um, three, I think. So three, 3.5, that's going to be a 6.5. Um, that's not bad. Not that's not bad. Good. 
No, it's still a good episode, but just not as good as some of the past, you know, more recent right. ones. I have two um, notes about this episode that I forgot to mention. One is in the beginning, the nuns that are walking in are talking about the book and the movie Lilies of the Field, which is a, right. which is a a movie and a book. Um, but Sidney Poitier is in the um, is in the movie, and he's this kind of um, nomad worker that's like traveling around. Uh, I don't know what state it is because I just read up on it, but. He comes across these nuns and he ends up building them this chapel, but he doesn't want any of their help. So he he builds it himself and the community keeps wanting to help him and help him. And he's like, no, no, I'm doing it myself. But eventually they do kind of trick him into letting them help. And then he builds this chapel for them. And then the night before the chapel uh, is having their, their, their like first mass ceremony and they invite him to come, you know, enjoy it with them. He sneaks off uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, but the, the head nun never gave him credit for it. Uh, um, in the book, I guess, which is an interesting thing. But when he leaves, she kind of somehow gives him a nod of acknowledgement. I thought it was interesting, a nice a nod to nun, nun um, culture there. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was um, in the diner, when the waitresses are looking at Jude and they see her talking to herself, what, what looks like her talking to herself, um, she's like, maybe we should, you know, call Briarcliff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a nice nod to the rumors and speculation, you know, that people think that Jude might, like some of our listeners have said that Jude might end up as a patient at Briarcliff, which still could happen. So so it might be a nice nod to that rumor or it could be a heavy handed hit over the head with foreshadowing. Who knows? Exactly. So it'll be Jude's future is definitely up for grabs, I feel like, at this point, as is obviously characters like Grace's as well. Right. Um, One more thing. My biggest complaint about everything that's happened with a lot of these people that isn't taking place in Briarcliff is why can't people drive more than 10 minutes in any direction? Like, like Threadson's lair's close enough that Lana immediately, immediately gets shuffled back to Briarcliff. Um, uh, Jude's at the diner. Apparently that's right next door to Briarcliff because they can take her right there and they can call Briarcliff. It, not only is it right next door to Briarcliff, it is apparently very close to... Where she ran over the child, which you think she would want to get far, far away, far from, away from that, right? And Kit is being interrogated or, or questioned uh, about his case close enough that he can run back. Like the, Kit, people just drive a little bit farther, and you'll be free. This is a very walkable community. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have. No, I think that those are some really good points there, and um, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting to see kind of what happens with these characters. Where do we go from ne- from here? Because so and much has happened. As you talk, you kind of as you you know, you mentioned the the novel they're discussing in the beginning here, and all these illusions. I just also want to point out that um, the we we I we had a a, a listener um send us the lyrics to that song Dominique that plays in the common mm-hmm. room on repeat, and they're pretty weird and creepy. I posted them on the Facebook page, but I encourage you to go look at them and try to draw your own conclusions from them because. It's a kind of about this guy taking a journey, and you know there's got to be some significance there in terms of what you know Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk had in mind when they're putting together this show. So I don't know. This whole plot is you know it's full of illusions. It's full of um, you know homages to different types of horror and just different types of old shows. And so it, it, you know. It'll be fun to see what happens as things go on. So let's take a minute to talk about next episode. Is it just me or did I see Demon Santa Claus? Oh yeah, I saw Santa Slay Part 2. Did you ever see the movie Santa Slay? I'm aware of it, I did not actually it see it. It is 
amazing and should be on everyone's Netflix list if it's on Netflix. But yeah, we're... I don't know how I feel. I mean, I love Santa Slay, but I don't know how I feel about introducing a Santa character appropriately right before Christmas. <laughs> so I'm guessing that next week we're getting our holiday episode. Maybe yeah. We... <laughs> I think I think next week episode might be the break, the, the, the fall finale before we take the break till uh, next year, I'm guessing. Um, that's probably, you're probably right. So we're going to get a little bit of a break after that, but that looks bizarre and creepy. And it looks like we're getting introduced to another new character. Um, we also see Threadson back in Briarcliff as a doctor again, there to hot Lana, so which we kind of anticipated happening. Um, the Eunice versus Arden showdown is going to continue. Jude is back in the asylum and essentially we're just going to see Slasher Santa. So I'm not sure what his deal is, but I'm sure it'll be terrifying. And I hope it will be. And hopefully, hopefully we can see Kit's plot forwarded a little bit because, Something right. needs to happen there for that story to be worthwhile anymore. It looks like they're going to throw him in with Lana a little bit more, and I don't want—I do not want a romantic relationship there at all. But I want, you know, a friendship or a partnership, something I can hold on to that makes me like want to root for him a little bit more. I agree. I think that's going to have to happen because they're kind of going to be the two who. I mean, maybe they end up teaming up with Jude in the end, and it's going right. to be three again against every, you know. And who would have thought? Like just a flashback to last episode when when Lana gets into. Um, uh, back into Briarcliff, she's immediately she's like, "Where's Sister Jude? I want to talk to Sister Jude." Like, exactly. She, you, you know, all of a sudden, that's pretty cool. She she trusts Sister Jude, you know, and yeah. it, it is pretty cool because obviously her and Sister Jude had their differences to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna see some new relationships forged that we didn't anticipate, kind of at the beginning of the season. So we're kind of, I mean, like we said, in this short period of time, we're seeing these characters transform so much in, in such a short period of time. Yep. I don't know. I agree. I'm excited to see how it unfolds. But uh, I guess that's it then. Um, once again, we always want to uh, encourage everybody to go onto iTunes and you know download us there. Um, you can always give us a review or a rating. We always appreciate that. Um, you can go and send us uh, comments or questions at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast. And um, you can uh, find us just our website at um, thisamericanhorrorstory.com. So uh, until then, uh, Chris, where can people find uh, what more you have to say? <laughs> I'm on Twitter um, at, at Chris Husted, and that's Chris with a K. Awesome. I am on Twitter as well at TJMoss11. Um, so we uh, look forward to seeing you all next week and finding out what's going on with Insane Santa. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, until then, cheers and happy hauntings. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Dominique et Nicanique s'en allaient tout simplement aux dieux, pauvres chantants. En tout chemin, en tout lieu, ils ne parlent que du bon Dieu, ils ne parlent que du bon Dieu. À l'époque où Jean Santerre d'Angleterre.